everyone. We are here with another episode from Bible Ask, and today we're excited because this is going to be the first episode where we actually record for a podcast. So not only do we get to see it uh, live with uh, in visual, but if you're listening, you can be um, able to just listen on your podcast wherever you are. So today we're extra excited because my friend Kelly Buruchara is here today, and she will introduce herself and um, a ministry she's involved with. All right. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you so much, Tina. My name is Callie. I currently live in Nairobi, Kenya, and I live here with my husband, our cute little dog. Um, I have been a teacher the past few years, but I'm actually switching careers right now. But a ministry that has been consistent throughout that entire time is a blog I run called Worried Sapling. And Worried Sapling started out where um, I've struggled with different kinds of anxieties throughout my life. And I thought there was a better answer than um, always medication or just have more faith. I felt like God had better answers for that. So I started Worried Sapling as a place where I write reflections on how we can be faithful and faith-filled Christians and still have our questions answered. Because I found that God is one who loves to engage with us in our questions, and he loves to satisfy our hearts. Um, so yeah, I'd love to see you guys at Worried Sapling if you ever want to come through. So thank you so much, Callie, for that link. Uh, we'll have it here on the screen for you all. And so let's jump into our first question. Barbara asks, are the oracles of God and the Ten Commandments the same thing? All right, thank you for that question, Barbara. So first, I'm going to answer the question, and then I'll just give some reason. I'll give the reasoning behind it. So the oracles of God and the Ten Commandments are actually not the same thing, um, because the oracles of God are much broader. The oracles of God do include the Ten Commandments, though. So Barbara, I'm not quite sure which verse you're talking about, but I'm going to assume it's either Romans 3 or Hebrews 5, because those are two of the most prominent verses that talk about the oracles of God. So let's go to those verses to talk about the reasoning there. In Romans chapter 3, it opens up where Paul is asking the question, what advantage is there in being a Jew? Because you already established that Gentiles can be saved too, so what's the big deal? But in verse 2, he says, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, if you think about what the Jews were entrusted with, was it just the Ten Commandments? It actually wasn't. It was the entire Hebrew Bible, passages that talk about the Messiah coming or how to build the sanctuary or how to even live as a sovereign nation unto themselves. We even have the words of David throughout the Psalms. So all of this was entrusted as the oracles of God. We can see the word of God reflected also in Hebrews 5. So if we go to Hebrews 5, at the beginning of the chapter, the author is talking about the high priestly ministry of Christ, which is a pretty deep topic. And at the end of the chapter, in verse 11, he talks about how we want to keep talking about this, but you've become dull of hearing. And then verse 12, it says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now, this couldn't just be talking about the Old Testament because he was just talking about the high priestly ministry of Christ. And that was not explicitly mentioned in the Ten Commandments here. And even if you look at the, the word behind oracles, um, it's a Greek word, which comes from the, which is derived from the word logos, which just means words. So oracles of God, in this sense, you can really just read it as the words of God. And all of the words of God that were entrusted to the Jewish nation 
include the Ten Commandments, but go far beyond that. Amen. Very good. Exactly. And just as um, it says in 1 Peter 4, 11, that we want to speak as the oracles of God. We want to speak God's word to everyone and speak the truth. So we're so grateful, Callie, that you're doing that with us here today. Oh, thanks. So that brings us to our next question, um, which comes from Christina. And she asks, how do I reach my unconverted family and friends that have um, heard about the gospel but don't believe it? Okay, thank you for that question, Christina. And before I jump into the answer of it, I just want to say that this is a wonderful question because, you know, a lot of times in life, we are more than willing to do ministry anywhere else besides our smallest and most intimate sphere. When God sends us to our friends and family, we say thanks, but no thanks. I'd rather take a plane and go far, far away. So I think this is, um, this is beautiful because it reveals your heart and that your desire is to minister to those that God has placed closest to you. And we can all partake in this ministry. Um, there's kind of four things that come to mind. And the first one, you know, really, it applies to everyone, but it's especially true when ministering to those who are closest to us. And that is people care less about what you say and more about who you are. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite quotes about uh, sharing the gospel is the strongest argument in favor of Christianity is a loving and lovable Christian. It's not a seven part PowerPoint. It's not having all the, the problem text memorized, but it's about revealing Christ in your life. And this is especially true in our home life because you think about you know, you can go and preach this fantastic evangelistic series sermon, but if you come home and you're unchristlike, your sermon meant nothing to your family. But when they can see the abundance of patience and of kindness and of love, there's no argument. They can't be like, well, you haven't changed, but they, they see the evidence in your life. So you can argue with verses, but you can't argue with someone's life. And I think that's why in 1 Peter 3, you know, Peter advises women who are married to unmarried or un, to unconverted husbands that they should win over their husbands, not with arguments, but with pure and respectful conduct, because that goes the furthest way. The second uh, principle I'd share is that you should be open to continue to share aspects of the gospel, because just like you and I, they don't know every part of the gospel. So be open to share those opportunities but be prayerful and have no ulterior motives. If there's anyone who can, under, who can pick out ulterior motives, it's your family. <laughs> so if you're being kind because you wanna like sneak in a Bible study, they're gonna know. So not only don't show that, but don't be like that. Jesus didn't check people's conversion status before he ministered to them. He just ministered to everyone. And if that brought about a salvific relationship, he was super happy about it. But he didn't have this ulterior motive where I'm only going to minister to you if you're like nice back and love Jesus back. So don't have that in your heart either. And be open to share those opportunities, um, the, those truths when God gives you those doors to go through. And they happen a lot more than you think they would. The third thing, and this is probably the hardest one for me, <laughs> is to be okay with the possibility that Jesus is going to use someone else to lead your loved one to him. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Peter's, or not Peter, Paul is reflecting on this concept where he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And sometimes we can be obsessed with like, well, this is my ministry. This is my person. I'm going to, but I mean, you can do your part and you might not see it come to fruition, but God loves your loved one way more than you do. 
and he will bring them down that path. So be okay with playing your part, even if it's not the part that you wanted. The last thing is to not overly burden yourself by thinking you are responsible for someone else's salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one who converts anyone and everyone, including you and me. So be open to the Holy Spirit's promptings, but don't think it's your logic or your life, or you are the one that has to strong arm them into salvation. Trust that God loves them even more than you do. Live your life with him, be open to opportunities, be prayerful, pray for them all the time, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in them and work through you. Amen. That is, those are really great words of wisdom. And just like it says in Proverbs eleven thirty, you know, those that win souls are wise. And we definitely need God's wisdom in that whole process there. Absolutely. Amen. Thank you so much for that. And so that brings us to our last question, which is from Francois. And he asks, if we observe the feasts of the Lord, how should we Christians practically celebrate or participate in the festival of unleavened bread, specifically the first and the seventh day, which are meant to be holy convocations to the Lord, as we are not Jews? So it's a little bit of an involved question, but um, I know that you'll have something good for us from God's word. Thanks. Well, thank you for your question, Francois. Um, It is a lot of details, but I appreciate the details because it helps understand kind of more of your thinking and where you're coming from. So before I directly answer your question, I want to speak about the premise that it seems to be based on. So I don't know this, but from your question, it seems like you believe that we are still required to observe the Feast of the Lord. And that's actually biblically not true. Um, So I'm going to briefly explain why that is. So we'll use the example that you did of the festival of the unleavened bread. So the feast or the festival of the unleavened bread was closely related to Passover. And just a few details about it are, um, had to be done in Jerusalem, had to be done in the sanctuary, had to be done on the right day. It was tied to Israelite agriculture. It was restricted to genetic Jews. And you probably knew those things, which is where your question came from. Like if all these things are requirements, then how in the world are we supposed to do this? And another key aspect of this festival and the, all of the feasts of the Lord, they were dependent upon the sanctuary, which was the place where we had the, sac- the sacrifices, which, is, which was required before Jesus died for our sins. So you had to sacrifice certain animals and do certain things with its blood. And it was very, very involved in the sanctuary of God. But when Jesus came and died for us, was the perfect sacrifice. And Hebrews 9 and 10 especially talks about this, that Jesus died once for all, and no one, there's no more need for any sacrifices. That Jesus was the fulfillment of a shadow of things to come, it says in Colossians. That he was perfect for an imperfect system. And it goes on and on and on about this. And even Hebrews 10, 4, the author admits, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So all of these feasts and these festivals were pointing towards the Messiah of we're doing these sacrifices because Jesus is going to come. Well, they didn't know Jesus' name, but the Messiah is going to come and we're pointing towards the Messiah. We can't wait for the Messiah. And then the Messiah came and Jesus took care of all the sacrifices and he was the fulfillment of all of these patterns and all of these parables. So now that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those things, your question can be rephrased as almost how can we celebrate something that has already been fulfilled? So it's not as, it doesn't really exist anymore. 
because, well, how can we, and your, your question kind of points to that, how can we celebrate this when it's been fulfilled? So going to your original question, let's say you still want to celebrate this festival, not because it's salvific, because it's not, but because you just want to, it's just something you want to do. How to celebrate that is a difficult question because you kind of have to recreate the whole festival in your own way. We don't, we're not going to go to Jerusalem, okay? We don't need sacrifices anymore, okay? We don't sanctuary. We're not waiting for the Messiah's first coming. So what are we, what are we supposed to do? It's, it's like you have to recreate and man-make the festival from the ground up. And then what's the point? Because it's no longer from God. It's from our own imaginations. So there are ways that we can have a memorial for what Jesus has done for us. And there's ways we can celebrate it, but it's no longer what we find in these festivals because Jesus has fulfilled all of it. My best suggestion in this kind of case would actually be to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, when Jesus gave, his, um, gave the fruit of the vine as a symbol of his blood and gave bread as a symbol of his body, this is one of the most beautiful ways we can have a memorial for what Jesus has done for us. And this is what we can do as Christians, not trying to recreate, but something that Jesus has already given us to remember him until we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper with him again in heaven. Amen. Very good. And uh, just to add on to that, you know, the, it specifically says in the Old Testament that the um, Feast of Unleavened Bread was an ordinance, uh, mm. not like the Ten Commandments. It was an ordinance. And we know from Colossians 2.14 that the ordinances handwritten by Moses, not the Ten Commandments, but those handwritten ordinances were nailed to the cross. And so um, just like yeah. you're saying, we really need to know God's word in the whole context and, mm -hmm. um, you know, think about these things practically and thank God that he gives us all of his truth and he gives us wisdom to, um, to think about these things. So we are so grateful to Callie for you coming on today and helping us understand God's word better and for answering these questions. And we are so grateful that you guys are listening to us. If you guys have a question you want answered, feel free to come on to our website at bibleask.org forward slash ask and uh, ask your question and just make sure you press yes. You would like it answered here on the show. So we uh, look forward to hearing from you all and hearing more questions. Thanks again, guys. God bless.